Hi everybody, I'm John Sherwood and this is my podcast where I seek to fuel faith in Jesus in the 21st century. I'm a minister of the gospel and believe in making disciples who make disciples because Jesus really is beautiful and amazing and worth following with everything that we have. You can check out more resources at my website, johnsherwood.com, where I write about the intersection of faith and modern culture, as well as Bible study, leadership, and faith interviews, all designed to help ignite and fuel faith in Jesus Christ. And with all that, let's dive into the episode. If you wouldn't mind, go ahead and grab a Bible. Um, We have been doing a little bit of a beta test here in the church, if you're new around here, where we've been trying to open our Bibles rather than turning them on. Uh, But obviously, if you need to turn them on for some particular reason, like you can get the font to the size that you can see it or whatever, then please feel free. But otherwise, we're encouraging people to learn how to thumb through the Bible and real pages and all of that. It's kind of a test, just kind of exploring what this might be like for us in the digital age. So uh, we've been talking about imitating Jesus, and we've been asking this question. What does it mean for you to, or how is it that for you Jesus is worthy of your own personal imitation? As you think about imitating Jesus, why would you want to do that? Why is Jesus worthy of imitating? And so we've been discussing that a little bit. Last week we talked about Jesus' hands. We talked about this idea of things that he would do and how he interacted with people. And we talked about how the gospel writer Luke actually opens up Jesus' public ministry in Luke 4. When Isaiah is handed to Jesus in church, in the synagogue, and he reads from him and he sits down and he says, Today you guys have heard Isaiah fulfilled. I mean, what a mind-blowing concept that would have been for his hearers. And we talked about how Jesus was this, this man who was fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy of a Messiah, a king that was going to bring justice to the nations, that was going to bring forgiveness to people. He was going to set the captives free and bind up the brokenhearted. And we talked about what does it mean for us to imitate Jesus in this way? I wanted to kind of actually continue this dialogue on this concept, okay? I wanted to have an imitation of Christ uh, hands part two, right? Okay, so Jesus has two hands, so we're going to imitate both of them. All right, so this week what we're going to do is we're going to talk specifically about this idea of justice. I had some feedback from the sermon last week, um, and obviously I said some things that might have been a little borderline for some folks, a little borderline offensive, and uh, I would encourage you to come and talk to me if, if you were offended or felt that something I said was out of place. Please come talk to me about that. But I thought it was really needed for us to really um, explore Jesus in his fullest sense. Because a lot of times, I think for us, um, not for everybody, but I think for many of us, we can tend to think of Jesus as a soul saver. And he has sent us on mission to save souls. And that is true. But if we forget that Jesus also came to change people's lives, to heal people, to change and challenge social systems and structures to reveal and imitate the heart of God here on this earth, not just pie in the sky waiting for some eternal destiny for this reality, but both and that I think we've missed the whole of Jesus and the whole of his message. So we're going to talk about this idea of mishpat. Anybody know what that word means? No, it's not a curse word, I promise. Mishpat is the word justice in ancient Hebrew, or that's translated justice many times. 
Let's open in Matthew chapter 12 as we explore this idea of justice today. And again, we're on this concept of imitating Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, we're going to read quite a large section of scripture here, so please read along with me. I'm reading an NIV here today. In verse 1 of Matthew 12, it says, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. Does anybody know why they were doing that? No, they were hungry, right? Why were they hungry? Because they didn't have jobs. And they didn't have homes. And they were wandering around following this teacher. Relying on other people to provide for them. And they're traveling through this grain field. They're traveling through somebody's property. They're trespassing. And they start stealing people's food. That's what's going on here. And they're doing it on the religious day. The Sabbath. When the Pharisees saw this. Who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees are the people that have homes, have jobs. They don't need to go steal people's food on the Sabbath. And they're the religious law upholders. When they see this, they say, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. So Jesus says, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. Uh oh, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent for the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Wow. There's so much there. I don't even. My, my friend told me, don't geek out on a lot of the Old Testament connections. Just uh, bring it to where the people live today. I said, okay, all right, I'm going to need some help not nerding out right now. Okay, <laughs> going on from that place, verse 9, he went into their synagogue, Jesus. And he says, and then there's a man with a shriveled hand was sitting there and looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Can I get this mic turned down a little bit? He's got my controls. Who's got me? Frank, thank you. Um, he says, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will it not take, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he says to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretches it out. It was completely restored, just as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of that, Jesus withdraws from that place. A large crowd follows him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. It's kind of an odd thing, right? Jesus is healing all of the ill people. I know we have a lot of ill people out today. A lot of people sick at home, probably watching on Facebook. 
And he warns these people not to tell other people about him. And then Matthew happens to throw this in in verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. And in his name, the nations will put their hope. Matthew here is recording Isaiah and connecting it for us, for his audience then and for us today. He's saying, look, Jesus is walking around healing people. He's going around and he's stealing people's food on the wrong day and saying, guess what? It's okay. And he says, if a sheep fell down in a pit on the Sabbath day, wouldn't you go and help that sheep out? And he says, and you're getting on me for letting my boys feed themselves? How much more important are these dudes than sheep? And then Matthew says, Isaiah told us about this guy. Isaiah said that there would be someone who brings justice to the nations. This word, mishpat. He says that he's going to proclaim justice. And what does this justice that's being proclaimed look like to Matthew? It looks like Jesus revolting against the Romans, telling all of his disciples, get some swords. We're going to go get freedom. We're going to go free ourselves from these oppressors and everybody else that they're oppressing. No, he doesn't say that. He says, you know what? People are more important than things. That's what justice looked like for Jesus. For Jesus, justice looked like healing people who are sick. A lot of times we think of justice in a very different way. We think of justice as somebody getting what they deserve, don't we? Justice is the criminal being locked up. Justice for Jesus was the sick being healed. Justice for Jesus was his disciples getting some food from the leftovers when they were hungry. Is that our concept of justice? Is that the justice that we want and seek after and look to give? So why is justice so important to God? Why does Isaiah hundreds of years before say that God is going to anoint a servant that's going to proclaim justice to the nations? Why is this important for God? Flip over to the first page of your Bible. Genesis chapter 1. Might not be the actual first page of your physical Bible. I have a preface and several other pages there. If you're on a screen, it might be a, you know, the first click. In Genesis chapter 1, we get deep insight into why justice is important to God. And why people are more important than things. Why Jesus says, wouldn't you pull a sheep out? How much more important are people? Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. It says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And this is 
on the heels of the account of the writer talking about how God made everything. The cosmos and the animals and the water and the fish. He makes everything in creation. He creates. It's not a science textbook, right? It's a description of God being creator of all things. And then it culminates and it comes to its climax that God made one thing special that's fundamentally different than all of creation. Male and female. And why is male and female greater than, more special than, somehow unique to birds and animals and fish and air and water and rocks? Because we're created in the image of God. In Latin, what's known as the Imago Dei, the image of God. Because humans are made in a likeness and imagery of God that is unique to all of the creation, God says that you should have justice with one another. You should have mishpat with one another. You should care for one another. If you're hungry, you should feed one another. Why? Because that person bears my image. And so when we do justice to another human being, Unlike anything else in creation, unlike animals, we're doing it directly to an image bearer of God himself. And so the image of God, and that's a deep concept that could deserve its own entire series. The image of God is why Jesus says, even on a holy day that we're not supposed to do any work, that God commanded us to rest, even on that day, it's right for me to say, Reach out your hand. It's right for this man to be restored to health and to what God intended him to be. We live in a broken and a fallen world marred by sin and all kinds of death and destruction and decay. And Jesus says, this is what it means to honor the image of God in another person. And what did the religious want to do? They wanted to kill him. Why? Because they weren't recognizing the Imago Dei. They weren't believing and acting as though people really did matter more than things. And what were the things that mattered most to them? Abiding rules, right? And I'm sure that their obedience of rules were well intended. Okay, let's not give these guys, you know, a bad name where they're not due. They were doing what they thought God wanted them to do, and Jesus was revealing, no, my Father actually wants you to think differently about this. The Sabbath is not more important than this real person. Where do you think this is going to take us? Matthew chapter 12, jump back over there. What does it look like for us to imitate Jesus in our context? What does it look like for us to be involved in and give justice to others? We're going to have some dialogue about this in a few moments, so I want you to be thinking about it. I want you to participate and speak up. Let's talk together. Matthew 12, verse 6. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. 
Verse 7, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, where he's quoting from, from Hosea. He said, you would not have condemned the innocent, referring to his disciples. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This servant who God chooses, in whom God loves, in whom God delights, in whom God puts his spirit to proclaim justice to the nation, says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, and I'm greater than the temple. Jesus is saying God is more concerned about people than our religious obedience. That can be hard for religious people to hear, right? We're all gathered here in church. It's a lot easier when you're out at the town hall and there's some gathering of protest saying to give rights to this group or that group or that group's taking rights from this group or that group. That's where we expect these conversations to happen, not in church. Church is a holy place above all of that where Jesus saves souls. Matthew thought very differently. Matthew thought that Jesus saving souls was actually about healing a shriveled man's hand, about feeding some hungry friends. For him, Jesus saving people had to do with justice. It wasn't just, hey, guys, don't worry, your hunger will go away one day when we die and we're in heaven. It wasn't just, hey, man, that hand's going to be all better one day in heaven. Jesus was about bringing heaven to earth. Jesus was about bringing his father's kingdom to this world. And many times I fear that for me and for us as Christians, we still live like they're separate. We're still living in this life waiting for one day. When Jesus desires us to bring that day forth now, just like he's doing here. I want to explore and press in a little bit more on this idea of mishpat, this Hebrew word for justice. It occurs over 400 times in the Old Testament. Justice is a big deal to God. the temptation and what can be massively offensive in this kind of a discussion as we're talking about these things we can go towards politics right and you start hearing through a red filter or a blue filter or an elephant filter or a donkey filter <laughs> and you start seeing uh, MSNBC's headlines you start seeing Fox News headlines you start filtering even the message and heart of God through our modern political landscape perspective. It's very dangerous. And I don't want you to politicize what I'm saying. Don't politicize these passages. They're not in view of American politics. There was no such thing when Jesus was speaking here. But we do have a tendency to do that. Why? Because the stuff that he was talking about, though American politics were not in view, humanity was human hearts were, human lives were, and that hasn't changed. And that will never change. Why? Because there will always be hungry. 
There will always be immigrants. There will always be orphans and widows. There will always be the marginalized of any society throughout history and anywhere in the future. And God's heart then, now, and will be that those people are cared for. Why? Because of the very beginning of the biblical narrative. They all bear the image of God. Amen. That has nothing to do with Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or any political schema. That has to do with we as Christians subversively living in exile. Foreigners and strangers in this land saying... We're not okay with people being ostracized. We're not okay with intentionally building walls so that my resources don't have to be shared with you. That is a value of the world, not of God. And that has nothing to do with politics. So please don't hear it in that vein. I don't care who you vote for. I don't care if you don't vote. What God cares about is are we mishpat with one another? Are we sedekah with one another? Are we seeking right relationship with each other? Or are we in subtle and not so subtle ways advantaging ourselves at the disadvantage of another image bearer of God? Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. <clears throat> Here is a prophet talking to the Israelites and telling them that God has marked you as wicked because you're not doing justice. You're not living righteously with other people. He says, God has shown you what's good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice. To do mishpat. And to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. William Barclay quotes, Christian service is not a monastic retreat. It is involvement in all the tragedies and problems and demands of the human situation. Mishpah can take the form of fighting for people's lives and the good of others through things like fostering and adopting children like some in this very church have done and are doing and will tell you it's not easy. You are disadvantaging yourself for the advantage of others. It's a, it can take the form of looking after and having a heart to bring Mishpah to the world where God is glorified and pleased and he is shown to be greater than any political system. It could be something like being the most kind and respectful and loving person in the office towards the flamboyantly gay person that expects you as a Christian to be none of those things. Why? Because they bear the image of God and they're worthy of respect and kindness and dignity. This is what mishpat in the world can look like. Look over in Luke chapter 17 as we close out here. In Luke 17, I want to prepare us that as we set out to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God, you're not likely to get a parade. Mm -hmm. 
There's not going to be any floats this week at the Thanksgiving parade in the name of Mishpat. There's going to be a lot of floats in the name of capitalism, financial gain, and wickedness. We'll be there watching them. We'll be right there in New York this week with our family where they live, watching the parade go by. And there's nothing wrong with the parade inherently, but I want us to be aware that as we set out to live in God's kingdom, to imitate Jesus as he did, don't expect to get thanked along the way. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Says Luke 17, verse 12. As he was going into a village, ten men had leprosy, and they met him. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Jesus did justice even when people didn't thank him. Even when people didn't praise God, even when people seemed to care nothing for what he had done other than the benefit they received. That's the wicked condition of the human heart. So as we try to go and do justice, let's not try to put parameters around whether or not we're going to do it based on what kind of response we get. There's a homeless person asking for a few dollars. I don't need to try to figure out and assume what his intentions or her intentions are with the money and judge whether or not I'm going to give justice to them because I don't approve of them not coming back and thanking me in whatever form that takes. No, I need to do justice. If I have to give, if a person asks me of my cloak, I give my tunic as well. When somebody asks, I do not withhold, straight out of the lips of Jesus. Mish Mishpat can be something that doesn't have to be grandiose and on a level of systemic oppressions, right? And I don't know about you, when I think on that level, I get overwhelmed. And I'm just like, Lord Jesus, I'm one man. I just want to go home and lay down in my bed and just forget I ever read any of this crazy Bible. Mishpah can be something as simple as respecting your waitress, looking them in the eye when you talk to them, caring about them as another human being and not just give me this, give me that, or the order gets messed up and we degrade them because we're not happy. That never happens to any of us Christian people though, right? We would never do such a thing. There's only three ice cubes in my water, ma'am. <laughs> this is what Mishpah looks like. Real circumstances, real life in the trenches. It can be the cashier at the grocery checkout line who has an attitude because she's standing there for 12 hours a day in terrible conditions, dealing with a bunch of egg-headed Christian people like us. 
who won't look her in the eye, won't look him in the eye, won't say thank you, won't treat them like an image bearer of God. Perhaps we're too busy being religious because we have a Bible study to go to. This is challenging me. It's forcing me to think about how I'm involved in the human world around me. And I'm on a journey. I don't have everything figured out. I haven't concluded everything. But as we're imitating Jesus, I want us to all be challenged that Jesus was not just about some eternal soul, spiritual salvation, but that he was about the image of God in every person being honored and being loved and being respected. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that we can call you Father. We're so grateful that you have given us your image to bear. And God, we want to humbly apologize for all the ways in which we have and can not honor that image in others. Whether it be someone who is a minority, whether it be someone who is in the majority, whether it be someone who's on the political left or the political right, whether it's someone who thanks us or not, help us, Father, to have a love for your creation, for humanity, like Jesus does. That Jesus would love each one of us who are fundamentally no better or worse than anyone else, he would love us enough to sacrifice himself, that he would disadvantage himself to give us great advantage. Help us be like that. Help us start in our families, in our homes. Help us start right here in this church, God. That if there are needs around us, if there's oppression or injustice around us, Father, help us to care. Help us to not bury our heads in the sand. Help us to pull alongside one another and show the world around us who you truly are. In Jesus' mighty and precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Faith Fuel podcast. We look forward to seeing you next time.